I'm pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay, so uh, what you guys don't normally see is before I get in my car and I drive to work, every day I have to figure out what my podcast is about. And some days I have an idea. Sometimes I even do a little bit of research. Uh, and some days it's just like, oh, I don't know what to do, what to do. So today um, I'm trying to figure out what my, what my podcast is about. Uh, and at some point I go, oh, I, look, I got to go, I got to go. We got a play day. I don't want to be late for the play day. Um, and then it dawned on me, wait a minute, play days. I will talk about play days. So note I'm saying play day, D-A-Y, not play date. Um, well, my kids had a lot of play dates when they were little. Um, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about play days. So I'm going to explain today what a play day is, how they came about, how, how we do them, and why they make magic better. Okay, so let me first explain what a play day is. So what a play day is, um, and they happen about, about once a month, is for the day, instead of doing what we normally do, everybody in, in R&D, uh, or most people in R&D, stop what they're doing, and they play a particular set. Um, usually it's a set, usually the set's uh, somewhere in set design. Play days usually are based on things in set design. Um, and uh, any one set will usually have two play days. One in early set design, one in late set design. Um, and the idea of a play day, so here's one of the things to understand is we make a lot of magic sets. And that the average person R&D just isn't on most of them. Like, I'm in, I'm in a weird situation where my job is to oversee at least all the standard legal sets. Um, so I, I have an insight. You know, I'm either running or on the vision design teams of almost all the sets. So, like, I have a pretty good idea of what all the sets are doing because it's my job to oversee them all and see how they connect and stuff. Um, but the average person in R&D might, for example, I'll, I'll just use some of our code names. So they could be on archery, but they're, they're not on baseball or cricket. Uh, maybe they're on diving, but then not equestrian, and then oh, they're on fencing, you know. And so maybe in the, in the the scan um, in the time frame of a year, maybe they're on one or two teams. Um, and remember, they're not just standard legal sets. There's also um, supplemental sets. There's a lot of things to work on, and any one person only works on a few of them. So basically, what that means is that there are gaps for most people. That a lot of people think, oh, I worked on archery. I know exactly what archery is about, but baseball. I didn't, I have no idea, you know, and the reason the play days came about was we were realizing that there were just major gaps in people's knowledge of the sets. And, you know, one of the things that's important, like magic is a collaborative process, um, meaning that, you know, the set's not made by one person, the set's made by a whole group of people and that the people at R&D, look, this is what we do. We're very good at making magic sets. And, you know, we want to get input from the whole of R&D uh, and so the idea of a play day was, look, let's get all eyes on something. Um, you know, let's, let's use the, the full might and power of R&D to sort of do a pass on where the set is at. Um, and normally there's one done in roughly early set design to help, you know. Um, the one in early set design is more about like, hey, do people generally like where this is going? Do they like, you know, do they like the mechanics? You know, is it, it's sort of like, are they happy with the, the general direction that the set is going? And then late set design is more like, okay, the set is, okay, mostly done. Are there nuances of things that can improve? So the, the first play day is about bigger notes. The first play day might be, um, 
I do or don't like this theme or you're missing something or this mechanic is or isn't working. It's larger. The issues are much larger issues, right? They're issues that are talking about how to um, shape things where later on it's more fine-tuning. You know, the, the later play day might be like, um, oh, uh, this archetype is missing this thing or... You know, you only you have nothing at common for it. Go maybe when the uncommons move down, or maybe you can make a common specifically to help it in this way. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about. Um, well, uh, first I'll talk about where they came from, and then I'll talk about how how they work. Um, so I think what happened was um, so Ken Troop is one of the people that oversees um, R and D uh, for Magic. And I think, so one of the things that Ken does is every year he, um, well, he likes to read a lot of management style books, a lot of books on business and stuff. And then once a year, uh, basically around the holidays, he will give every member of R&D a book. Um, Not every person gets the same book, although usually there's a few books, like usually there's a couple books between them that people have given out. And... um, one year he gave out the book. Oh, I'm not remember the name of the book. It is by um, uh, one of the co-founders of Pixar, Ed Cadmill. Okay, I might get his name wrong. Uh, he wrote a book about the create the creation of Pixar and how Pixar functions as a company. Uh, it was a very cool book. That um, and in it, one of the things he talked about was how from time to time. Um, they liked it, like, because Pixar, like Wizards, you know, they're not working on just one movie. You know, they have a movie that comes out every year, and movies take many years to make. So at any one moment in time, everybody is working on a different project. And I think in the book he talked about having um, times where, like, everybody can come together and watch one of their movies and, and give feedback and stuff. Um, and I think Ken liked that idea and said that, you know, both, I mean... I think when Ken first pitched the idea, it was a, as a means to get more information for the sets. And then it quickly became apparent that one of the great things about it was it also became this means to fill people in on the stuff that they don't know. Um, once again, those of us who are, are more, you know, who oversee a lot of different things, you know, I, I am much more aware of all the different sets because the nature of what I have to do. Um, and I think as we started sort of talking to people, we realized like, oh, there are people that just never, ever were like, let's say, for example, baseball. There are people who weren't on the vision design for baseball, weren't on the set design for baseball, aren't on play design for baseball. They never really touch baseball on any um, direct way. They're not on a team. But the idea is they might have really interesting insights or, you know, we want both. We both want everybody in R&D to be aware of what's going on just because it, it helps. I mean, like, even if for no other reason that I'm working on cricket. Well, knowing what baseball is doing when cricket's coming right after baseball is important. And so, you know, the more knowledgeable you are of all the sets, the, the more it improves the quality of even the things you are working on. And, you know, the other important thing was that you just want to get, like, there's a lot of very smart people. Uh, you want to get, you know, you want to sort of let everybody sort of take a look at things and give comments because um, there's a lot of people that can just do a, a few play tests and, um, you know, give really insight, insightful information. Plus, the other big thing about Playday information is um, when you keep getting the same feedback, that's also very valuable um, of just going, oh, a lot of people are saying this. Usually that is true. 
if R&D doesn't play today and everybody in R&D, or not everybody, but enough people are saying a similar thing, oh, that's, that's really an issue you got to go look at. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about... Um, uh, wait, wait, so that, sorry. That is how Playdays came to be. Um, in the beginning, I think in the beginning, when we first started doing Playdays, they were a little more infrequent. I think the first Playdays were just once per set. Um, and, I, and we didn't really do supplemental sets early on. And then what we realized was that it was valuable enough and we were getting enough data out of it. And it really also, it was a team bonding experience because it was to let everybody sort of do something together. Um, that's another big thing that I think we realized is um, one of the things that's very bonding for, for R&D, I assume for any organization, is when you kind of stop everything you're doing and all come together and all work together and it just, everybody sort of found it as a fun way to do. It was something that was, was a breather, sort of, you know, it's neat to every once in a while stop your normal routine and do something different. And it just kind of bonded. It got people to, like, there are people in R&D that just don't necessarily work day-to-day with each other. And this is an opportunity for them to sort of cross-pollinate. Anyway, lots of good things came from it. So we started by doing it, I think we, are in the beginning, there was like, the plan was like four play days a year, I think. Um... So it's like, we'll have a play to every three months was the first plan. Because the idea, I think, was there were four main standard legal sets. Each one will get a play day. And then we're like, oh, you know what? This is so valuable. Rather than just having a play day once, maybe for the the standard legal sets, not, probably not the core set, but the other three, um, that have more moving pieces to them. Okay, maybe those should have two play days a year. So we, we get a play day, you know, in early in set design and play day in later set design. Um, and... They're like, oh, well, we also have, like, some supplemental sets that are, you know, booster releases and things. And, you know, those really could also use some eyes. And so eventually it, it started as once every three months and then it went to one every two months. And then now it's about once every month. Um, and that is, um, you know, it's something that is very, uh, I think we're, we're, we're at the point now where we've kind of settled on, on, on our, 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 uh, our thing. The, um... I've also mentioned I did a whole podcast on hackathons. Um, so hackathons are um, when we stop work for a week. Now, not everybody stops work. It's less people. And um, that's where you have a particular project you're working on. And you and a small team work on a project. Usually a hackathon has an overall goal. Like we're trying to make an innovative product or something. Uh, and there's multiple teams that are usually trying their own version of things um, toward that goal. Um, but as we found with hackathons, Sometimes more than one team makes something we end up making, um, or sometimes you end up making things that have useful stuff that can get used. Okay, anyway, so let's talk about what exactly is a play day like. So I'm going to go to work today, and it's a play day. What, what does that mean? What should I expect when I get to work? Okay, so first off, um, one of the cool things about play day is we bring in breakfast. Uh, so when you get to work, there's breakfast. Um, and I don't... Uh, there also is lunch. There's breakfast and lunch. Um, I'm not sure what... Part of, I think, the idea of breakfast and lunch was making a, a day out of it, you know, making something of sort of felt different and unique and, and making it... I think one of the goals of Play Day is not only making it a, a means to get valuable information, but making it something that was kind of fun and enjoyable and, and, and an event, if you will. So we come in, we start with breakfast. Um, and, in fact, R&D had so much fun... Uh, with the breakfast at play days. So every Tuesday we have a, um, a thing where we play over lunch. Um, and so lunch gets brought in. 
Uh, and then we play with usually the latest set um, on Tuesdays. And the idea of the Tuesday play days is, or not play days, I guess, but the Tuesday lunch, uh, play lunches, is um, we realized that while we were playing a lot of magic, we weren't playing as much mag- like finished magic as we could. And this was an opportunity for more people just to play with the finished product. Because, um, you know, we work on the sets a lot while making them, but there's just a different experience of playing with the whole of, uh, of a finished set versus a set sort of in progress. Um, and, anyway, the reason I bring this up is the breakfasts have been so popular that every once in a while we do breakfast for lunch for Tuesdays because um, people really like the breakfast. Okay, so you come to the play day, you have your breakfast. Um, then, um, in the morning... Usually, the way the play day works is... Um, now, I'm going to give you the average play day. One of the things to be aware of is each uh, the set designer, the set lead, um, has the ability to change how they want to do their play day. I'm giving you the default play day, which is mostly how they work. Um, but... Uh, anyway, I, I will... As I come... If I realize things that are a little bit different, I can bring them up. Okay, so... Um, in the morning, so there's two sessions essentially. There's a morning session and there's an after lunch session. Um, so in the morning session, for both sessions, I guess, there usually are three things that are available to you. Um, number one is there's a draft. So if you would like to draft with this product, you can. Um, usually the drafts are for people that have some experience. Well, either people that already have some experience with the set or, you know, the play design, people that are just used to drafting and can more easily pick up a draft, um, even even if they're cards they haven't seen before. Um, but okay, you can do a draft. Uh, they're sealed, so you can get sealed pools and make sealed pools. Or there's the equivalent of pre-constructed decks. Um, and usually, what happens is play design before the meeting will build some decks. So if people, if people, essentially the idea is there. If you have never played the set before, and you're one of the kind of people who it's intimidating to approach something you've never seen before. There's pre-constructed decks, basically. I mean, they're pre-made decks. You can just pick up the decks and play. Um, depending on what... If we're early in the process, the decks are just made by play design and don't reflect anything per se. If it's late in set design, they might be early versions of, like, Planeswalker decks or something. Um, we eventually make Planeswalker decks. Um, so... If it's late enough, the Planeswalker decks might have already been started, and, and that that is what um, that is what they are. Um, so anyway, the idea is there's as much investment as you're able to play, however you're comfortable with. Um, you know, if you're new to the set, and the other thing to remember in R and D is not everybody in R and D uh, is design and development. You know what I'm saying not everybody. Um, there's a lot of people working in R&D doing a lot of different things and a good chunk of them are magic players. Um, not all of them are, are, are well, when I say magic players, everyone, I mean, most everyone in R&D knows how to play magic, but there's a big swath between, hey, I play for fun casually and, you know, I've been to the Pro Tour many times and top eighted a couple, you know, once or twice. Um, and so some people playing the new magic can be a little bit intimidating and so, um, the other thing is the pre-constructed decks also are a product we have to make. It's something that is good to get some sort of feedback on. Um, and so, you know, that, that definitely is something that is valuable. Um, sealed, we find, is uh, sealed is the way people play the pre-release. It's a good way a lot of people are used to playing for the first time. And so 
sealed allows us to sort of get some sense of comfort and the people who want to build the sealed. Um, it also is very good because the first impression for most people is the pre-release. So the feedback you get from the people playing the sealed is the most going to mimic the pre-release and gives you the best information there. Um, draft's important because just a, there's a lot of valuable things you can pick up from a draft. And it allows people to give usually a lot more technical notes. Um, a lot of times from drafting, you can, you can talk about how you might have been misled in the draft or certain archetypes that are, aren't working. You know, it, it allows you to, to get a little bit deeper. And for the people that either already have been working on the set or the people that have enough familiarity that they feel comfortable you know, jumping in on, on a draft, um, it does give you a lot of insight into the product. Um, normally when we do this, um, we, we can have a lot of people play. I mean, R&D is getting pretty big. Um, I think we are, I'm not sure exactly, 70 to 80 people right now. We're, we're, we, we keep getting bigger and bigger, um, and we keep absorbing more and more sort of roles in the making of magic. Um, usually, I mean, the, the rule of thumb is... Uh, you're supposed to play in the play day if you can. Uh, if you have a product that is under a very tight deadline, um, you know, you essentially, if you can do the play date, it's recommended you do. But if something is going to, if some product's not going to make a deadline or something, you, you have the freedom to skip the play date if you need to. Um, most people want to play in the play day. Play days are fun. So uh, uh, the other thing that'll happen sometimes is because we, we have meetings with other people from other sections. I mean, R&D obviously is taking off to do this, um, but sometimes you have to go off to a meeting because it's with other people. Um, we also, um, at times, will invite other sections sometimes to come join us for play days if we want other people to see the set, especially the, the, later, um, the later in set design. We will invite other people to come see. Um, okay, so now... Um, oh, and then... So anyway, the play day, there's the morning... So you come at breakfast, you do the morning session, you can play, seal, play, draft. Uh, then we have lunch, lunch is brought in, um, and there's a variety of things you can have for lunch. I mean, I'm sorry, there's, lunch is usually one, sorry, one kind of food. Um, it could be pizzas, or it could be Thai food, or it could be Indian food, or it could be Greek food, or, you know, there's, there's um, and uh, so there's lunch, people come have lunch, and then after lunch, there's the second session, um, usually what they recommend is, um, it's kind of nice to try different things in different sections. If you played sealed in the morning, maybe you want to try playing draft in the afternoon. Um, some people will do the same. Some don't feel up to drafting, so they'll play sealed twice. Some are very familiar with that, so they'll draft twice. Um, but you have a different experiences that you can, you can do. Okay. Next thing you get is you get a sheet that is made by the lead designer, uh, lead set designer. Uh, and the sheet basically is to gather information. Um, so the way it works is um, we do this every play day. And so um, you are free to ask whatever questions you want, but there are a bunch of questions we tend to ask every time. Because um, one of the advantages of doing play days is um, because we ask certain questions all the time, we've started stockpiling the answer. And so like one of the questions that we tend to ask is, was this fun? Did you have fun playing this? That's a question we always ask. So one of the things we can do is we say, oh, well, here's the rating and 
hey, compared to other sets at the same level of development, like, um, you know, we tend to compare them like some sets are in late set design, some are in early set design. Usually if we say, is it fun? We'll look overall, but we'll also look at sort of like if it's a late set, okay, compared to other sets that were late. It, it's the, that's the best comparison. Um, and the reason this is valuable is the more we do with these, the more input we get, the more we can get a sense of, oh, oh, the fun rate's only, you know, 3.9. Oh, that's, that's concerned. We want to, you know, something that, you know, it really gives us some sense of what people are thinking. Um, and that's another important thing I should stress about um, having, uh, you know, having multiple people play all at once is not only are we getting individual feedback, which is important because you want to know what individual people do or don't like, you're getting group feedback. Um, let me take a moment to talk about group feedback because that is something that's important. Um, one of the things that is tough about designing a game is there are things you have to care about that are amorphous, right? Is it fun? Um, and it is very hard in the abstract to, to say, oh, well, how do we, how do we, how do we gauge fun? Uh, and the answer is there are certain things that groups do well that individuals have trouble with. Meaning, if I said individual, gauge how fun this is. I mean, you can give your experience of how fun it is, but it's very hard to gauge what the general reaction would be. But a group can do that. That if we ask everybody how fun is this and they rank it on a scale and we measure that and then we can measure it against how other people ranked other sets, you start to get a sense of um, an overall group sense of them. You can use the group as a barometer to measure things that are very, very hard. Like some things, for example, um, you know, some things like, you know, play design can look and say, oh, it's this balance. Or, you know, like, like there's a lot of objective things. Um, one of the things I refer to this is in, in design development, there is what I call art and what I call science. The part of the job is, the science part of the job is sort of the numbers part. Like, oh, well, we have to make sure the as fan is correct of a certain attribute. Or we have to make sure that the curve is right. Um, and there's, the science part of it, it's not that there's not work to make it happen, but it's very exacting in that, look, if we want this particular aspect to be a certain as fan, that's just getting the math right of making sure that enough, you know, between commons, uncommons, rares, mythic rares, that the thing shows up in the right value. Um, and the science is important, but the science is, because it's very mathy, it, it's not a matter of, you know, it, it's detecting it is not the issue. I mean, you have to figure out what you want, but sort of adjusting it is much more a, a number crunching issue. The art part of it is, you know, what are we evoking out of the audience? What are we, you know, what emotion are we generating? What, how do people feel when they play? And that stuff, which is also very important, is just a lot trickier. You know what I'm saying? So like, and the way I'll, I'll describe it is, if I want to know, let's say I take a piece of art, the Mona Lisa. If I want to know how tall the Mona Lisa is, the painting, well, I can get out a ruler and measure it. It's not, it's not that hard to say how tall the Mona Lisa is. Um, if I want to know what colors, what in, I mean, okay, that's a little more complex, but you could look and, you know, you can figure out what colors were used to paint it. But if I would say, is it beautiful? Okay, that's a lot harder to measure. That's a lot trickier. And that, that's when you start using group metrics. Um, because when you're trying to figure out whether the audience will like something, 
that is more about group response. And so how do you sense group response? By using groups as a means to do that. And so one of the valuable parts of the play day, and one of the reasons that we want everybody playing, is there's a lot of amorphous things that we need to understand. Now, there are also less amorphous things. So the, the, the questionnaire will ask a bunch of things of how you like things, was it fun? It'll ask how you played that day. Um, and then it'll, it'll ask you about specifics. So it usually asks about the mechanics. Um, sometimes it'll ask about themes, depending on themes. Like, if we're doing a theme that we know, I mean, usually we'll ask about themes anyway, but if it's a brand new theme, we're much more likely to ask about it. We'll always ask about mechanics. Um, pretty much it's like, what is what are the things about the set we think players will enjoy? And let's sort of test those things. Okay, here's this mechanic. Do people like this mechanic? Um, and one of the other... Oh, the other thing... Well, I mean, that's one thing. The other thing we also ask sometimes is about how complex people feel the set was. That's another thing we have to measure. And complexity... Um, complexity has a cross... It's kind of a cross between art and science. There is some measurement things you can do for complexity. Like, for example, we measure um, how many lines of text on average the cards have each rarity. Um, now, that's not exactly complexity... Um, in the sense that you can be wordy and be less com- uh, uh, sorry, you can be wordy and be less complex, or be non-wordy and be more complex. Um, but there's a correlation there, which is in general, the wordy you are, the more complex you are. And there's a high enough correlation there that by monitoring it, it allows us to sort of keep an eye on it. Um, but there's some art to complexity too, which is sort of like, oh, you know, how many things are people interacting with, and you know, like. Some of it is just doesn't feel complex. Um, some of it is you can analyze it, but there are times what we've learned is kind of on paper it's not that complex, but in play and actual experience it is complex. And then we want to figure out, okay, well, um, all our markers for complexity are showing it's not too bad, but the feeling that we're getting reported is saying that it is. So let's figure that out. What are we measuring that maybe is leading to some complexity? Um, and that definitely allows us to, um, you know, analyze and, and look at things. Um, another thing that will happen sometimes in the feedback is um, sometimes if it's later in the process, we'll a- ask questions about some elements of the creative. Um, usually, the art is not done by the late playtest. Um, it depends. There, there are times we've done... Usually the point of a play day is you want to do things early enough that the play day, you can take the information from the play day and use it to make the set better. Um, generally, by the time the art is in, uh, it is just late enough in the process that the play day information isn't quite as valuable. Um, but I think the way it works is um, if sketches are in, our new, we change how we print cards. I think I did a podcast on this too. Um, and our newest cards, we literally print onto cards, onto cardstock. And I think the way it works is it will put on the card in the art box whatever we have. So if we have a sketch in, it'll just put the sketch in. If we have full art in, it'll put the full art in. Um, and I think in late, like early set design, the, the, the art's just not there yet. Late set design, I think some of it is in. So some of the cards will have art. Um, and so sometimes there might be elements people actually can comment on. Um, the names usually for, by late set design are, while not totally real, are closer to real. Um, 
And sometimes the people who are doing the names are experimenting a little bit. So sometimes we'll get feedback on some of the creative elements. Um, and then each set designer is going to have different things they care about. And so we want to weigh those, you know, they, like the set designers are free to, to do whatever they like with the questionnaire. Um, all that we ask is there's a few questions that we, well, we, we suggest that we put them on every time just because we're trying to build a base of response to it. And it allows you to compare your set on certain functions like fun and complexity, things that are a little harder to have a complete gauge um, by comparing against other sets. Um, now, one of the things that's very interesting about Playday is that... Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Let me, let me finish on the questionnaires. Uh, the final thing on the questionnaire uh, usually is the... Okay, now, what, what, what did you play with? Um, oh, let, let me talk a little bit about the pluses and minuses. So one of the things we do during play days, and, and uh, it is something um, a guy named Peter Lee came up with. Uh, the, um, so what happens is if you're playing in a, in a play day and you like a card, and it's fun, doesn't have to be your card, it can be your opponent's card, just you're like, oh, wow, I really, I really like that card, you put a plus on it. And if you come across a card that you really don't like, like, really? I'm not sure about this. I, I, I didn't enjoy this card. You put a minus on it. Um, and so one of the things that we do is we collect all the plus, and then we add up the pluses and minuses and get a sense of, oh, what cards were sort of people, really made people happy, and what cards were frustrating people? Uh, we gather that information. Uh, the other thing we ask for you in your thing is we ask for you, do you have any card-by-card -card notes? Um... You know, do you have any sort of other... What cards did you really enjoy? What cards did you not enjoy? Uh, and you can go and look through your pluses and minuses if that helps. Um, and we also sometimes will ask, hey, what did you play? You know, did you enjoy what you played? Um, so we, there's some open-ended questions that get people to sort of talk about more specifics. Uh, and one of the things that is encouraged is the crunchier the data, the, the better. Like, if you dislike a particular card for a particular reason, hey, point it out why you dislike that card. Um... And then there's one last thing, which is, okay, anything you really wanted to say that is not, has not been asked yet, you know, is anything you really want to get across that is something, um, something that we, we hadn't hit yet. Um, and the, for, for me, for example, one of my big things when I play sets is I'm big on feel. I'm big on like, did it have, you know, um... I mean, one of my jobs as the vision guy is every set is supposed to evoke something out of the players. That we're supposed to do something to go, ooh, I'm enjoying this because. Now, there's a bunch of different ways that people can enjoy something. Maybe we're, we're doing some topic we know people will like and it's top down or, you know, like, oh, wow, you've really captured this thing that I enjoy. Or maybe it's us taking a certain aspect of the game and putting it front and center. You know, oh, you normally like this part of the game, but now it's the major thrust. Hey, you like artifacts, but it's an artifact set. You like enchantments, it's an enchantment set, or, you know, whatever it is we're focusing on, um, that you really are playing that up. And sometimes it just, there's a new twist on an old popular thing. Hey, we've done this before, but not like this. Um, and so I'm really interested in the general feel. And so one of the things that I do, um, on all, I mean, on all the sets, everything that's set that goes through the vision, whether or not I'm leading the vision or somebody else from a team's leading the vision, is I want there to be a goal of what do we want the audience, 
what about the set is supposed to make the audience happy and, and make them enjoy the set? What, 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 where is, where's the fun, if you will? Where is the excitement there? And what are you trying to evoke of the audience? What do you, what, you know, and different things can evoke different things. I talk this all the time about how I like my sets evoking emotions. I like that Innistrad, the, you know, gothic horse that scares you, you know, or that, uh, um, you know, I, I like that, you know, when we were in Tarkir, I like the idea that a sense of this is a place where, where war is happening all the time. How do you get that feel across? You know, and every set that I make, you know, Dominaria, I wanted a little bit of sense of wonder and the idea of these people idolize their past. And I wanted you, the player, to idolize the past. There's a lot of sort of um, work that gets done. And so one of the things I do when I, I'm playing the play test, uh, play days, is um, unless we're playing a supplemental set, um, I'm much more familiar with these sets. So I'm, one of the things I use it for is, am I happy with, you know, we set a bullseye in vision of saying, this is our goal. I, I sort of want to give notes about how much I'm getting that feel. Because normally what's supposed to happen is vision design sets the bullseye and then set design is sort of improving it. You know, uh, the house metaphor I always use. You know, we've, we've ha- we have floor plans. We have, uh, we've made the blueprints. Okay, now set design is building the house. And as the guy who either made the blueprints or oversaw the guy who made the blue, person who made the blueprints, um, I'm sort of like, oh, hey, looking good. Or, you know, you moved this wall much. You might want it to look about, you know, you this was a bearing wall. I'm not sure you wanted to move it. Or, or you seem to be taking liberties with the bearing wall. Be careful. Um, so I'm giving notes on sort of how I see things are going. Um, because one of the things that I do in my job is I need to check in from time to time and make sure that, you know, I hand something off. Okay, I, I'm going to go do the next thing, but I need to poke my head in and make sure that um, the vision that have been established is being followed. It, most of the time it is. It, 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 usually it's me saying, oh, wow, good job. I really enjoy how you did A, B, and C. That really is enhancing what the set is doing. Uh, every once in a while it's like, oh, I see you remove something or you change something and Here's what that. Here's the purpose that we're serving. So if you remove that, make sure you, you have something to fulfill a similar role, stuff like that. Um, okay. So what happens is uh, everybody turns in their forms. Um, we then collect the forms and collect all the data. We look at all the pluses and minuses, and then the lead of the set gets all that data. Um, and what can they do with that data? Well, there's a bunch of different things they can do with the data. Um, some of it is very crunchy data, which is this card would be better if changed in some way. Or this card, a lot of people don't like it. Get rid of this card or change this card. Or this card, people love this card. Whatever you do, there's something special about this card. Be very careful. You know, this card is, is one of the things that really seems to be driving people toward having this positive response. So look, you, you, you want to keep that. Um, so first is the card by card sort of stuff where they are trying to figure out um, just individual choices. And sometimes... One of the great takeaways of a play day is just tactical notes. Like, so we have a database called Drake. Um, used to be called Multiverse. Now it's called Drake. And I think I did a podcast on our multiverse. I mean, on our database. Um, and in it, we uh, people can leave notes, what we call dev comments. Um, and, you know, whenever you see a card, whether you see it in a file or you're playing with it, you can give notes about, oh, I, I think this card could be better if something. Um, and... The play day is probably the best place to sort of pick that up. Um, and there's a lot of card-by-card card notes usually from the play day, especially the later play day 
Um, and so one of the first things that they want to do is just go through and say, you know, these are just smart people who are used to making magic sets, looking at cards, and oftentimes it's just a matter of, oh, yeah, 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 we did this once before. You know, when we tried it once before, this is the problem we found. I think that you're, you know, you could tweak this a little bit and avoid that problem. Or like, you know, Eli might look at cards and, um, or not, not just Eli, but, you know, there might be, oh, there's some rule thing you might want to think about or talk to Eli. I know we tried this in such and such a set and, you know, this was a problem. So just a heads up, make sure Eli's aware of that, you know, stuff like that. Um, so you get a lot of the card by card data and a lot of the, um, um, the, the crunchy stuff. So that you get a fix. By the way, just a little side note here. Um, I'm normally at work by now. So, uh, it takes me about 30 minutes to get to work. Um, so real quickly is they, uh, it's been snowy, uh, as I'm recording this, it's uh, early February and we've had a bunch of snow. And for those that don't know anything about Seattle, uh, we don't get a lot of snow, so we don't have an infrastructure to really deal with snow. So, um, so for example, early in the week, uh, we had a day off work cause there was so much snow that we just had the day off. Um, uh, and then the rest of the week we came in, but the roads are uh, still snowy. And so anyway, I am I have an extra long podcast because uh, people are just driving slow because of the snow. So um, this is one of those podcasts where uh, if I had actually finished at 30 minutes, I probably would have had to leave some information out. Um, but I'm this podcast is going to be a lot longer. So I'm, I'm stretching a little bit for those that recognize when I stretch. Uh, the, the, the telltale signs when I go, oh, let me tell you about this one thing that, uh, let me let me spend a few minutes talking about it. That's what I do when I have to stretch. It's like, oh, well, here's an interesting tidbit about this thing. So, anyway, I am, uh, my, my commute is, I, there's two different freeways I take, um, and I get, I, uh, the changing from one freeway to the second freeway is my halfway point. So I'm hitting my halfway point. Now, traffic's moving now because I'm on the freeway, so secretly this won't be Right now, we're the 37 minutes. We're not going to have 37 more minutes, but I, I predict I'm not going to get done in 30. Actually, I know that. Um, anyway, just a heads up. Uh, I like a I like little behind the scenes how uh, our bad weather means more content for you. Traffic, more content. Bad weather, more content. Overturned bread truck, more content. So, um, anyway, our uh, <laughs> bad things for me means good things for you. Okay, let's get back to this. Okay, so they take the data, they, they figure out the cards, they get data off cards, how to improve the cards. Um, they'll get feedback on mechanics. Um, sometimes, usually going into a, uh, a play day, the, the set lead is aware if a mechanic is, uh, is having, having problems with it. Um, sometimes, especially the early play day, you're coming in to field test a mechanic to see whether you want to keep it or not. Um, Usually, if it's there, I mean, the goal is to keep it if you can, but oftentimes you come in knowing that it's a problem child and that you want to get the feedback on it. Sometimes it's um, because you get... The other thing to remember about play days is one of the things about working on a set is that you quickly lose um, sort of the, the newness perspective that one of the things that we're going for is we want the set to be fun and bright and like the first time you see it, it's exciting. Well, the problem for people who work on the set is you've worked on the set for a while and anything that's new or novel just becomes ingrained as being part of what the set is. And it's hard for you to 
like things that when you first start playing that you really enjoyed and appreciated, you know, you, you, you lose a little of that as you play with it more because you're, you know, the 18th time you play with something or the 30th or the 84th, it, you know, the newness has worn off some. And when you're trying to see, oh, is this fresh and new, it's hard to gauge that. So one of the really valuable things about play days is you get first impressions. And first impressions are very valuable for us. In fact, whenever um, somebody new comes to work in R&D, I always say hi and introduce myself. And one of the things I always ask is, because they have to catch up um, what we call the gap. When you come to work for, for um, R&D, you have not, um, you've been playing Magic up to what recently came out, and you're now gonna work on what we're working on, but there's a one to two year gap that you've never played before. And so you have to get, um, used about two years. You have to get up to speed on all the stuff that you have missed um, in your, you know, image. Sort of as you jump to the future, you the time you've missed, you have to come up with it. You have to sort of catch up with that. And one of the things I ask people is, as you go through it, can you do a little write-up of first impressions? Because first impressions are really valuable to us. Um, anyway, um, so we get a lot of first impressions, and um, sometimes it's like, like, like I'll, I'll, give, I'll give a concrete example. Um, there, we had a mechanic in a set that I handed, the, I handed over the mechanic, and I said to my set lead, I said, this is a fun mechanic. This, to me, is the anchor that I would build your set around. It's really fun. Um, but it's complex. You know, it is definitely something where there's a lot of moving pieces to it. And I said to the set designer, look, I... I carved away a lot of extra complexity so that we could keep this thing because I, I, I think this thing matters. And I tried to sort of give you a set where um, I, I think this thing really matters. So try, try if you can to keep it. Uh, and so they played with it and um, what they found was it was fun. Oh, but it was complex. And so at the play day, um, at the first play day, uh, they said to the audience, okay, what do you think about this? And the feedback from the audience, which was a very interesting feedback, was, man, this is fun. And man, this is complex. And the interesting thing was, sometimes complexity will drive down funness. You know, sometimes people go, this is complex, it's less fun, it's complex. And this was a weird thing where the feedback we got was, this mechanic showed up as both very fun and very complex. Um, and it, it kind of reinforced what I had said when I handed off, which is, look, I think this is a lot of fun, but it has the baggage of there's a lot going on. Um, and the takeaway from the play day was, okay, people really seem to like this, but can, you know, can we keep the fun of it? Like the, one of the things that the takeaway was is what is making it fun? What is it making it complex? And... Are there things that aren't fun that are complex? Are there components of it that are, like, one of the things they, were, they wanted to break down is, so let's say take mechanic and break it into, you know, it's 10 component pieces. Um, each piece, how much fun was that piece? How complex was that piece? And the question was, are there pieces that are very complex but not very fun? Like, if something's very fun and very complex, okay, maybe keep that. But if another component is, like, complex but not fun, well, maybe that's the place where you, you ship things. And so, um, one of the things that's really valuable is 
that the play day really sort of helped understand. Like, this set was a weird set. And, like, I, I handed it over with the caveat it was a weird set. Um, but the play day really cemented that, oh, wow, this is a really beloved mechanic. It scored really well. You know, this is the kind of mechanic that we, we aspire mechanics to score on the fun level. Um, but it also is a, is a warning sign on the complex level. And so that was one of the challenges. But I think if the, the mechanic had not sort of done so well on the fun level and it had been rated real high in complexity, they'd been much more likely to, to replace it. And so this is why play days can be pretty valuable because um, there, are, there are nuances that are tricky that you really need a wider feel for. Um, Another thing that they like to get feedback on, especially in late, the late, the late set design, is um, a lot of the thing is trying to see if your rares capture the essence of what you're doing. Um, for example, a different set. Uh, it was a top-down set. And um, we were really experimenting with, are we hitting the tropes we need to hit? Like, are we, you know, we wanted the set to be about something, but when people were playing it, was it evoking the, th- you know, did we get the sense we wanted? And that, the challenges of that set design was, um, we think we were playing in fruitful space, but had we captured the best thing from that? Had we, um, had we, like one of the things that whenever you're doing a top-down set is, you're trying to capture what it is people like about the thing that you're riffing off of. And, Part of that is saying, okay, what what are the components? What is the emotional feel of the source material? And are we doing something that sort of captures that essence in a way that is valuable uh, and and resonant? Um, and sometimes what we do when we do playdays for top-down stuff is the feedback is, man, I like the source material, but you aren't quite living up to it. And sometimes it's like, man, this is the card. Do more cards like this. And other times like, oh, I don't know about this card, you know, or I don't know about this mechanic, or you know, and that you start getting, like in a top-down set, it's a little bit more about how resonant is it and are people feeling it, you know, and like each play day, each play day might have a slightly different sort of challenge based on what the challenges of the set are. And so that's why we give flexibility to the lead set designer to adapt the questionnaire um, because a lot of what's going on in each individual play day is trying to figure out what what is the challenge of your set, what do you need, what kind of feedback are you looking for that will help give you direction. Um, and I will say the play days have been super successful. If, if the we went from four a year to 80 a year to 12 a year is not a sign of. Um, the other thing we started doing was we started doing supplemental sets. Uh, and where we found this valuable in supplemental sets is A, even less people are aware of supplements. Like, for example, I don't work in every supplemental set. I work on a few. but um, And while I, I have some visibility what they're about, because I, I, I have a hand in sometimes helping figure out what we're doing, um, I don't work on most supplemental sets. And so one of the fun things about a supplemental set is, oh, I haven't had a chance to work on this. You know, what, like, for example, um, when I did the play day for Battle Bond, um, I had not worked on Battle Bond. I mean, I understood the concept of, of, of what Battle Bond was. It was, you know, a two-headed giant limited thing. Um, and it was really interesting because one of the things that was fun for me is um, a lot of times my notes are more as, look, I, I've been playing around the space because I, 
I did the vision, was on the vision team, and I'm helping you understand where you're doing based on stuff we learned earlier. With um, a supplemental stuff that I've never done, I, I, I get to just kind of play designer, you know what I'm saying? It, it's And a lot of times I'm giving notes, maybe they're things they already thought about, but it's just, I get to give my sort of initial impressions and stuff, and that's kind of fun. Like, I remember with Battle Bond, um, I really liked a lot of things, but there were some there's some synergies I thought could be a little stronger and um, anyway you know it was fun I, I, Battle Bond was nice for me because that's a good example where as much as I'm involved in lots of magic I don't do everything we have so many moving pieces and so many sets that there are things that you know the play day is in fact a chance for me to sort of experience something and it was fun I enjoyed them um, I I Sometimes it's nice for me when the play day gets to be, you know, I think one of the set that I've worked on, I feel a little more obligated to sort of dig in deep and, and sort of talk about issues that I know exist. Um, but when I'm playing something that I haven't done, I kind of just put my game designer hat on and go, oh, this is fun, and here's what I like, and here's what I did, and have you tried this, and have you tried that? Um, and it's fun. It's fun doing some of those dots. Play, play, play days. Um, okay, so I'm slowly getting to work um let's see any other final elements of the play day that I can talk about um the uh oh the the camaraderie let me talk a little about that um one of the things that has happened over the history of R&D so when R&D first started when I first got in R&D R&D was literally nothing but designers and developers that's all it was it was the people who directly figured out what cards did. That was the only thing that R&D was. And then over time, you know, the editors became part of R&D and the creative team. And now we have a lot more people that work on other aspects of the production. Um, you know, people that are working on graphic design and working on, you know, a lot of other aspects. Um, you know, we have people that now help us do frames or do concepting or, you know, there's lots of different people in R&D. Um, and as we've gotten bigger... Like, there's a point in time where, like, if you said, close your eyes, name everybody in R&D, I could have, with a heartbeat, done it. And now, partly because we get so big, and there's just so many people, and just so many people working on so many different things, that it is, R&D at times is not quite as tight-knit, I mean, it's hard to be as tight-knit with 80 people as it is with 15 people, um... And that one of the things about playing is I really enjoy is it gets a chance for me to play with people that I, I don't interact with. Like, one of the things, for example, is um, there are people that I interact... I, I interact with the people that need to get the job done at the point where I work on the product, which is super, super early. So, you know, I'm working with the creative team, for example, um, a lot because we're trying to figure out the world, and so I have a lot of interaction with the creative team. But, like, the editing team... I have less interaction with it. The editing team is involved later in the process. And, um, you know, vision design can interact with editing a little bit when we're trying to sort of, sometimes early on, figuring out um, how to write up, uh, how to write certain mechanics and sometimes we'll do it early because we're trying to figure out can it work and can it fit in the text box. I mean, I work with editing a little bit. Um, I don't work with graphic design all that often. Um, I mean, sometimes when I'm doing framework, sometimes I'll work with somebody on framework if we're doing new things, but like, there's a lot of people in R&D that I either work with a little bit or almost none and so it's very cool when we're doing the play days that I get to interact with them and, and um, you know, it is 
the other thing that's really cool is and the other things that play days do is there's a thing in business called cross pollination, uh, and the idea of cross pollination is if you force people to interact with people they don't normally interact with, um, what starts happening is um, th- there's sharing of information between things, and you you find some things you don't normally get. Like if I sit down with somebody that's doing some part of the process very different from my part of the process, and we start talking, we might look at the set differently and have different aspects of what we care about, and that just being exposed to those other aspects, you know, making me think about a graphic design problem or something, um, you know, or about a tournament issue or about a digital issue, or but you know, just me worrying about things that I don't normally worry about really can have a big impact on how I design things, and so. Another big important part, I think, of the play days is this cross-pollination, is of people interacting with people that they don't necessarily normally. And just from a making R&D friendlier or, or even just building relationships. Like, for example, let's say I play with someone on play day and we have a good time. Okay, I, I've made a bond with them. I, I've started to get to know them a little better. And so if I ever have a problem, maybe I'm more going, you know what, I'm going to go ask that person this question. Where if I hadn't built that sort of friendliness before, maybe I'd be less inclined to go do that. And so, I mean, I think the play days are, I mean, while a lot of what makes the play day valuable is the immediate sort of, hey, make this, change this card. Um, there's a lot of very powerful long-term things about just the cross-pollination, the sort of building relationships with people that you have a little less interaction with, uh, and just also making R&D more fun, you know, um, I mean, one of the things about being a game company is I, I want us to sort of being experience the product in not always the technical way, but in the fun way. It's why the Tuesday lunches are important that, you know, I want to play Magic from time to time and have fun playing Magic and go, ooh, Magic is fun, and not just always be in, like, sort of technical mode. Um, and so I think play days are valuable there. Um, and the other thing, by the way, is um, a lot of the people who make the, you know, the... The, the designers obviously are all pretty well enmeshed with magic but there's a lot of people who work on magic and R&D that, that all of them know how to play magic but some of them are less familiar and they're just getting them to play more and just getting more experience with playing magic just makes them better at their jobs because the more you know they understand the game the more nuance they get hey the better it is in making it and so um, play days are also just an opportunity to get more people to play okay guys this was definitely a 30-minute topic that I talked about for 54 minutes. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, it's a lot of information about play days, but uh, it's an important process of what you do. And I like to go into the minutia sometimes of things that R&D does because, like, I want you to get the idea that everything we do, a lot of thought went into that thing. The reason we do play days and we iterated on play days and adapt play days and are constantly working to make play days better is it's a tool and allows us to do a lot of things in a very cool way that just makes a better experience for all of you. So anyway, that, my friends, is play days. But I got to go. I got a play day to go to. So anyway, uh, I'm now here at work, so we all know what that means. It means the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be playing magic. Play dang magic, if you will. See you guys next time. Bye-bye.